Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome back, Sarah, to Where Does It Go? A podcast about the life cycles of people, places, and things. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to our listeners as well. We took a little hiatus. And uh, now I'm here to talk about where ashtrays went. <laughs> I love this. I love, 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 love this topic because I have a lot of experience selling vintage ashtrays <laughs> of all the weirdest things. It's a good topic for both of us because I had like sort of an interest and I can do some of the research and then I have a few questions for Sarah and feel free to, you know, pop in with information as you uh, as it comes into your head. Yeah. Uh, but this topic came up. I was antiquing with a friend recently and she had remarked when we were done that she hadn't seen a single ashtray. Huh. And I hadn't either. And uh, we got to wondering where all the ashtrays were because for a fairly hefty chunk of the 20th century in particular, ashtrays were everywhere yeah. because everybody smoked. Absolutely everyone. And so I immediately texted Sarah after uh, my friend brought this up since I knew she'd have some input, but I also wanted to do a deep dive about where ashtrays have gone. Yeah. And so let's start with what an ashtray actually is. And it's pretty much anything you'd use to catch ash from smokables. Mm -hmm. Uh, Smoking tobacco has waned and waxed in popularity. Smoking cannabis has become more legally feasible but vaping both has become more popular as well or are dealing with edibles and things like that. So there's a lot of mix of like, do people even smoke things? And then do they need to catch the ash for the smokables? And that's actually slightly different from technically there's a, there's a definitional difference between something you'd use to catch ash and something you would use to hold the spent cigarettes. So those are apparently two different things. We have to keep that in mind, apparently. Huh. According to the resources I've been reading. There's also, so cigars require a special kind of ashtray so that they can be held at the proper angle. And because cigars are often significantly larger than cigarettes, uh, they have to accommodate a larger uh, smokable. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, so on cigar tra- ashtrays, and you'll probably get into this, so I'm interrupting too early. But um, so cigar tra- ashtrays are interesting, or ashtrays designed for cigars actually will have like a little rest on them uh, so that it holds the cigar very neatly and nicely. Anyway, go ahead. Exactly. And it has to hold them, or it should hold them horizontally versus at an angle. Right. If it's like a, a proper ashtray. According to what I read, that's the entire, you know, that's the entirety of the information about cigar ashtrays and how specialized they are is that they're meant to fit cigars. Yes. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. Yeah. And there can be and, really like, they can have different designs too. Like you can look at them like, oh yeah, that's probably for cigars, etc. Like it's interesting. Right. It's cool. And so when we're talking about tobacco smokables, I think it's really important to point out that a lot of this history that I was digging into uh, was very uh, United States and Europe centric. And I think it's really important to point out that tobacco was utilized in the Americas before colonization mm-hmm. and including smoking. And there's almost no discussion of what was done with ash 
almost no discussion in a, in in coordination with talking about ashtrays of what was done with ash prior to like colonial impact in America. And I just want to make the point that a lot of this history that I dug up points to like ashtrays being invented in Europe and and it's just nonsense. Like this is a very limited history. And uh, it mostly was just spurred on by like, why don't we see a lot of like McDonald's ashtrays at these antique malls and stuff like that. There's a a major focus in the research that I was able to dig up uh, about the 20th century and particularly about the United States. So I just want to be clear about that. And I'm absolutely certain that indigenous people smoke things. This is not just a European colonialism thing. Like they didn't invent smoking things. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's just, you know, um, history goes to the people who raid it. So that's what we know about. And indigenous peoples, as we all know, have gotten... Uh, not a whole lot of say in what history was reported. And thankfully, that's changing as more people are speaking up. Agreed. So cigars and pipes were major ways to consume tobacco via smoking uh, for a very long time. People would also uh, snort powdered tobacco in the form of snuff. They would also rub it on their gums. And that was the more seemly way for women to consume tobacco for a long time was rubbing it on your gums. <laughs> uh, and apparently, and some of this information comes from the the Duke Homestead Museum, which oh, cool. we live in the in the city where the Duke Homestead Museum is, where the Bull Durham Tobacco Company, uh, and then the Liggett Myers, and, and just tobacco is a big part of North Carolina history. Absolutely, cigarettes became more popular World War One, World War Two in there, and they were considered more seemly for women to consume, I guess, because they were smaller. But also they're smaller, they're easier to carry around. They're uh, a simpler smoking process than a cigar, and they don't require as big an ashtray. Yeah. So cigarettes became super popular. And then there's also chewing tobacco, uh, which I'm going to get into a little bit toward the end with talking about spittoons, uh, because spittoons and ashtrays are totally different things. But I was just like, what happened to spittoons? So I'll talk about that a little bit too. Ugh. So as smoking became more ubiquitous, and particularly as it became socially acceptable for women to smoke, uh, ashtrays got more ubiquitous and also more decorative. It was not uncommon to see ashtrays built into tables, desks. Uh, We had a pachinko machine, which is a a Japanese pinball machine, essentially. It had a built-in ashtray. You'd find them at restaurants. At recreation places like bowling alleys, in school desks, in colleges. Uh, So they were just everywhere, particularly in the 20th century, as smoking just became ubiquitous. And one of the major reasons that smoking became ubiquitous is it's enormously addictive. And uh, it is, frankly, difficult to stop smoking. And it is also uh, when everybody else is smoking, why wouldn't you? Uh, that's not an uncommon thing. It's a it's a socialization tool. It is uh, appealing because nicotine can feel very relaxing. Right. So when did ashtrays start becoming a thing where it's like a standalone ashtray? And when tobacco smokables became more ubiquitous and used more for recreation? Uh, ashtrays and colonizing 
tend to go hand in hand, as do ashtrays and enslaving or exploiting people for their labor. So enslaved people, it was not uncommon for them to be forced to grow tobacco. And then sharecroppers, it was not uncommon for them to be forced to grow tobacco after slavery was mostly abolished. Uh, and there's stories that include the Henry V of England receiving cigars from Spain, and then an ashtray was put together for him. And that's like the first ashtray. And I'm making air quotes next to my microphone because there's no way that's the first ashtray. <laughs> it strikes me as highly probable that there were ashtrays before then since the cigars were not invented to let Spanish people give gifts to British people. <laughs> so we'll go with that. Uh, but the ubiquity of people smoking meant that you could sell ashtrays. And they're kind of like swizzle sticks or postcards in that a lot of them were made with designs that appealed to souvenir and tchotchke collectors. Yeah. So you like monkeys, you get a monkey ashtray. You like Yellowstone, you get a Yellowstone ashtray. You like your grandkids, you get a picture of your grandkids embedded in an ashtray. <laughs> what uh, a weird thing. <laughs> And then that uh, directs the collectible market now because people will collect things in association with what they like. So if they're fond of monkey memorabilia, they're going to pick up a monkey ashtray even if they don't smoke. And they might repurpose it for something or just display it as a little like thing in their house. And then smoking has waxed and waned in popularity and there have been all sorts of stalls in production and availability based on wars, whether or not exploitable labor was available, um, meaning like, could you actually force people to grow tobacco for you? Uh, ashtrays have waxed and waned in ubiquity and location. And I wanted to point out, and this is a, a common theme, at least in things that I cover and probably in things that Sarah covers, Expensive ashtrays were status symbols for quite a while. And a lot of people probably just used like glass bottles and coffee cans when yeah. they would smoke and didn't have any money and would just like make sure they didn't want to start a fire. <laughs> but as a middle class developed in the United States, particularly in the 20th century, expensive looking ashtrays could be made less expensively and also became popular. So think about like a cut crystal ashtray. In the 1800s, it wouldn't be common for every middle-class married couple to have one in their home. But people smoked. Uh, in the mid-1900s, it was a, probably a not uncommon wedding registry thing. And you could get them and they'd be moderately expensive. You'd have a few or a set and that would be your nice ashtray set. And now you can get them for, how much did you say you usually put on like the plain ashtrays, Sarah? 50 cents. 50 cents. So I could have a house full of fancy looking ashtrays if I wanted to for probably, uh, I don't know, a hundred bucks. Yeah. And so that points both to the fact that production of a lot of things has become less expensive, but also that popularity as a status symbol changes. Yeah. It's no longer a status symbol to have cut crystal. I mean, it is for some people, but for most people, you're not going to impress your guests with a cut crystal ashtray in the middle of your table. They might think it's a little weird because why would anybody be smoking in a house? Because it's so uncommon now to smoke indoors. Uh, so and it's just sort of that's a way that ashtrays have become 
less of a status symbol or less of a way to display status. And so, frankly, less popular. Uh, and then smoking as an activity has been considered sometimes immoral or very socially specific at different times. So like when women didn't smoke or at least not reputable women, then ashtrays were not in women's spaces necessarily. As women smoking became more of a thing, ashtrays could be more around the house and more decorative. And then also uh, film has sort of directed attitudes about smoking and sometimes it is considered very alluring but at this point most of the time smoking is just something that only villains do right is something like really disgusting uh and so it's the type of thing like even um in 2005 in france a cigarette a character was from a film still shown holding a cigarette and it for the film poster it was airbrushed out so it's the type of thing that like personal or personal thoughts about smoking and then social attitudes about smoking might not fully line up, especially because smoking is so addictive. But that also points to like, you're not going to have ashtrays in McDonald's in places where there's indoor smoking bans. So where did all those ashtrays go? Most of them got tossed. Yeah. If they're not pretty, then, they got tossed. Yeah. And then I'll ask Sarah after I get through like a little bit of, the the vagaries of ashtray production I'll ask Sarah about her experiences with selling ashtrays so we can get a an insider look. So ashtrays in cars in the 20th century ashtrays in cars were frankly I mean they in the 1920s it wasn't necessarily an absolute guarantee but 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s it was guaranteed there'd be an ashtray in the car at least one yeah if not multiple so my brother bought a Cadillac Seville, a secondhand one. It was purple. Oh, nice. It had gold hubcaps and a gold grill. And it also had ashtrays in all the doors in the car. <laughs> of course. And so this was a fancy car. Uh, it was secondhand, so it was actually quite cheap because it was a piece of junk. But uh, it had ashtrays all over the car, and that was a feature. And uh, there were ashtrays designed to be used in cars, but not attached as well, because sometimes you had more than one person smoking. Or it was uh, because you didn't necessarily want to use the ashtray in your car, because it was very common for them to be, especially early on, placed right under the heat or AC. So they would just blow ash around your car. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) But also... Uh, those standalone ashtrays would just like flip over and, and and there was just, it was so common to have, even if you were pretty careful about it, if you smoked in your car, it was so common to have just like some ash or some like a cigarette butt just somewhere in your car. Mm-hmm. So in 1994, and this was a big deal, Dodge and Chrysler both announced that they would start making cigarette or ashtrays optional instead of. Uh, the just sort of standard. Wow. And it was like the beginning of the end, 1994. I didn't know it was in the 90s. Wow. Okay. There are sometimes cigarette lighters still in cars, but most of the time that's where you plug in a charger. Yes. If you're charging something. A new addiction. (laughs) And in the early 2000s, ashtray production was at like nil. Uh, so few people smoked indoors or at all anymore that ashtrays were really uncommon 
for decor. And this is not just in the U.S. There were bands around Europe as well. And so people started getting into vintage ones simply because they wanted ashtrays that were decorative and nobody was producing them anymore. Uh, But since then, thanks mostly to vaping, tobacco has actually come back fairly significantly. Yeah. And then also there's cannabis smokables, although it's much, it's not as common to do combustion consumption of cannabis, but it happens certainly plenty. And so there's been a sort of, I'm not going to call it a renaissance because that's ludicrous, but an, an uptick in production, mostly in China, India, Taiwan, etc., of ashtrays. And then people also create their own. They might, you know, take a ceramics class, make an ashtray. People make resin ones, which isn't necessarily like the best idea because plastic is not the best material. But, you know, I'm not going to stop people from doing anything. And then uh, a friend... A different friend pointed out that a lot of people use them as planters for little like little succulents and things. Oh, that's a cute idea. Yeah, it is a good idea. And it would get the ashtray used and a lot of them are quite pretty. Yes. They're just very obviously ashtrays. Like there are some that are attractive and I'm like, well, that's a pretty piece of art, but it's very obviously an ashtray. And there is sort of like a... Ugh, about having an ashtray in your home. But if you use it for something else, instead of just having it as a a curio, I could see, you know, it continuing to have an appeal. Right. And then I wanted to go through some tobacco bans through the ages. The Atlantic had an interesting article about it. Uh, Because a lot of these would influence ashtray production. If you're not legally allowed to smoke, why would you keep making... I mean, people would keep smoking, but why would you keep making ashtrays at the same volume? So in 1624, Pope Urban VIII bans snuff and smoking. Uh, apparently sneezing from snuff was too similar to sexual climax. <laughs> then in 1779, Pope Benedict XIII repealed the ban because he really liked snuff. And the Vatican opened like a tobacco setup. Of course it did. And it's really interesting. There were a lot of tobacco bans in the mid-1600s. So 1633, Sultan Murad the 6th of the Ottoman Empire banned smoking. Really? And then by 1647, Sultan Ibrahim the Mad. That's it's just what they said in the article. I don't know if he's still actually called that. Was it, He repealed the ban and then it was elevated to sort of a high art and, and a sort of pillar of pleasure in human life. In 1634, Tsar Michael of Russia banned smoking. That ban was lifted in 1676. 1646-47, Massachusetts and Connecticut banned smoking. Or allow one a day, but not with your friends. Yeah. You had to to smoke by yourself. (laughs) And then in the 1700s, by the 1700s, the colonists were using tobacco like crazy, growing it, exporting it. So obviously that ban didn't last. And a lot of these bans came with severe penalties, including like up to execution, which I thought was fascinating. In 1891, Iran's Shiites were banned from smoking due to tensions about trade with England. Uh, trade with England w- was rescinded the next year and smoking was reinstated as acceptable. And then I didn't know this, but in the United States, smoking bans were part of the temperance movement. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. 
Starting in 1895, North Dakota banned smoking, and 26 other states followed suit. And this was before the preponderance of cigarettes as well. So this was mostly pipe and then some cigar. But then by 1927, all smoking legislation for adults was removed, but they kept the bans on minor smoking. Okay. In 1942, Hitler banned or heavily taxed smoking. <laughs> which was fascinating. It uh, is fascinating. 19- he was a, a amphetamine addict. Yeah, he was on there's a there's a great book. God, what is it called? Blitzed. Yeah. About the uh what what Hitler was on and and what uh the German military was provided with and it was it makes the trajectory of the war World War II make more sense simply because you <laughs> think about like early on people who are not fully tolerant of amphetamines being fed a bunch of amphetamines and told to go to war and then they keep getting fed the amphetamines but that's really bad for you and yeah. so their health deteriorates significantly and the capacity to wage war deteriorates significantly. It's like um, it's like it started out with like Beavis being like I am Cornholio when he like what was he he was ha- he had a bunch of sugar or something yeah yeah and so it was basically started out like that <laughs> yeah exactly. if you're not familiar with Beavis and Butthead you can check it out we're we're back in the nineties <laughs> here <laughs> maybe we'll start a renaissance of Beavis and Butthead oh my god no they're so irritating but anyway. <laughs> By 1955, smoking in Germany was at its pre-war levels or higher. So, uh, and then China in the 2000s is attempting to significantly reduce smoking. It has pretty substantial negative health impacts for a lot of the population, including bans of smoking in several public spaces. There are apparently still enough cigarettes sold in China annually for each person in the country to smoke 1,800 a year. What? Which is, yeah, that's a lot of cigarettes. That's a lot of cigarettes. Uh, so the, the negative health impacts of smoking are well known. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm mostly just here to talk about ashtrays. (laughs) And so that's part of why I started this talking about how this, the, the histories that I found were very Eurocentric because even just finding some 20th century information about ashtrays in China would have been nice. And I, I, you know, if I had access to say archives or something like that, I might be able to find something but like you don't just start in the 2000s at everybody in the country could smoke 1800 cigarettes a year like there's a rolling process there and there's got to be a similar sort of ashtray ubiquity and and i could not find that so spittoons are a different uh ball of wax altogether but what i'd like to do instead of switching topics is now ask sarah a few questions yes please uh so I texted you immediately after my friend was like, we didn't see a single ashtray. I was like, Sarah knows where ashtrays went. (laughs) And then I think I dumped information on you. I was like, this and this and this and this. Okay, go ahead. It was perfect. And I was telling my friend and we were like, oh, that makes sense. And then I had a dream that night about finding ashtrays at an antique mall. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Sarah, tell me about ashtrays and estate sales. Okay, so ashtrays and estate sales. So the ones that you and I might remember from growing up is the little glass ones. They were just really plain. Probably your parents had them around if they smoked. Or anyone who's listening, I don't know if your your parents smoked, um, Emily. But mine did. And uh, we had a few like really big, crazy ashtrays. Um, but like mostly it was the little glass ones that I you can still get at the dollar stores as far as I know for a dollar. Um, but they're just plain. And so those we generally, if they were in bad shape, we threw them away, obviously, because you don't want a cracked or a chipped glass thing, um, you know, that nobody's going to buy. But then other ways we put 50 cents on them and amazingly people would buy them. But as far as ashtrays that are worth anything that you'll find on eBay or anything like that um, that people actually search for because there are people that actually collect ashtrays. And the reason for that is there's either subject matter like Emily uh, talked about it, like really like monkeys, really like, you know, some other subject matter that they think is cute. Maybe it's got like flies or butterflies or something like that. Um, and plus they look, some of them are really really cool looking um and so people will actually collect them and that just really depends on like uh what kind of shape they're in um if they're chipped or cracked or anything like that if they're pristine um if the subject matter is popular like if they're cats or monkeys or you know any any kind of um subject matter that tends to wax and wane or that are always popular monkeys tend to be always popular um yeah that's you could it, they just really range in price and depending on what they're made of i mean with uh, there's a lot of copper stuff so people that collect copper will um, get a copper ashtray they just can m- mix materials so this is an interesting thing i talked to someone who is a glass blower and he's probably in his 60s at the time when i was talking to him and he was saying when he started glass blowing like you know, he's older than me, so a long time ago. Uh, he said a lot of what you would learn with glass blowing was like pretty ornaments, but you'd also make um, ashtrays. And the same with potters, like you'd just make ashtrays. And then he said, as we got later um, into the 2000s, it's a lot of making bowls to smoke cannabis out of. Like it's a lot of um, like those pretty glass pipes that you might see if you go to a tobacconist or a vape store or something like that. And so it's interesting how it has changed from, you know, you learn to glass blow by making an ashtray or whatever, and then you, it moved into what's popular in culture right now. So, yeah, it just really depends on what's popular. The subject matter, I think, is the big one that sells it today. And as Emily mentioned, there's a lot more people using cannabis or openly using cannabis, um, and they might not, and they may actually be using combustion to smoke it still. And they need ashtrays and they might actually be like, you know what? I want a pretty one if I'm going to be doing this. It's fair. Yep. So within families, do people keep ashtrays or is it common to just like, oh, just get rid of them type of thing? And they get rid of them. Yeah. As Mm -hmm. far as I can tell, um, if the parents smoked my under, from what I've seen is that the kids had a negative opinion of smoking. So didn't want the ashtrays. That's pretty fair. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And most of the time, the kids didn't want it. And, you know, the people that we saw, their kids were either, you know, in their 40s, like my age. And so they're like, I have a house full of crap. Like, I don't want my parents' ashtrays. Uh, I don't, you know, or someone in their 50s who are like in the same boat. My mom died or my mom's going to, you know, assisted living. And I'm in the same boat where I've got to downsize before I have to think about down, uh, moving to, uh, you know, a senior living situation as well. So they didn't want them either. So it's just, you know, the only ones that really stick around are the ones that are really pretty or, like I said, have the subject matter that people love. Again, monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was looking through the ones that, you know, the, the vintage retro old school cool ones that I could find. I was like, some of these are beautiful. I would kind of like to collect ashtrays. I'm not going to because I don't need to collect anything. (laughs) But I would probably enjoy collecting ashtrays. A lot of us millennials, um, and I'm like right on the tail end, a lot of us millennials feel the same. Like we, you know, we have so much stuff because we were, you know, most of us, a lot of us were in the age of um, 80s where, you know, buy, buy, buy. Every commercial on TV was telling you to buy shit. Like every, all of our parents, like that, that was the way they were taught that you live a good life is you just buy more things. So we've gotten into our, you know, 30s and 40s and we're just like, well, we can't afford anything, number one. Because inflation and wages didn't keep up. And plus, we don't want those things. It has to be special for us to want it. Uh, With that said, I will tell you about my favorite ashtray ever, ever, ever. And I wish my grandma had kept it um, because I would own it now. I grew up Mm -hmm. with this ashtray that was a fly. It was this giant brass fly. And both of its wings opened individually for ash. And it had a place for you to place a cigar at the top. It was really, really cool. And I remember growing up and nobody ever used this ashtray. I think they were they were just all thought it was pretty, so they didn't use it. And it was sitting on my grandpa's giant wooden desk. Um, and so it was kind of meant for him to use, but I don't, he never did because he quit smoking. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> It was awesome. So I used to play with the wings all the time and it was brass and it was super heavy. So if you dropped it, it was like blang. Yeah. So they're still out there. The brass ashtrays, when you come across them, they're super neat because they're often articulated. Um, They also often have some kind of cool thing going on with them. There was a lot of work put into these ashtrays that were actually pretty cool. If you separate them from all of the stigma of smoking you're just like hey these are neat looking yeah they're really kind of lovely mm-hmm. and i guess they function as like teeny tiny trash cans yes they do actually and then um i've seen people and i don't know if i would do this they'd be individually wrapped i've seen people put candy in them put like crystals in them if they're big enough you know the ones there was this time where like there was a copper pot I've seen a few times and it has a hinged lid and it's relatively big. And I was always told it was for cigars and cigar ash because it's almost like a pot you would put on the stove. 
Um, but it was for ashes. And then it had like a little grate on the inside you could put your cigar in. But it was really kind of big. So it was like this giant pot, copper pot mm-hmm. with the hinge lid with a with a handle on the top for and it was really pretty because copper is pretty. Um, so if you collect copper, that's probably a common thing uh, is to find old copper ashtrays. That would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get into it, if you get on eBay and you kind of look around, it's pretty amazing the artwork that people have gone into, like the actual artisan detail of um, making ashtrays. And the reason for that is like my customer had told me who was the glass blower was like, yeah, that's what you used to make is ashtrays. You'd make ashtrays and now all the artwork, all, all the artisan detail is going into making glass bowls to smoke weed out of. Or, you know, people who, you know, potters do the same thing when I, I'm sure, and I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, we were doing stuff out of clay. I'm pretty sure I made my parents an ashtray. And I know my husband has because <laughs> we've yeah, talked like- about it. I'm pretty sure I might have made my dad an ashtray. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, it was super fun. Like when you sent me that text, I was like, it came out of the recesses of my brain. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew the second my friend said it, I was like, Sarah will know. Yeah, and I did know. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about spittoons. Oh, okay. (laughs) But I do know a little bit of spittoons, yeah. Slightly different in that they were both for catching spit from chewing or dipping tobacco, but also just for spit because it was considered for a very long time and in some places still is socially acceptable for men to spit in public. Yeah. And uh, that's disgusting. And it was sort of, as it became understood that that was a great way to spread tuberculosis, <laughs> uh, spittoons became more common. Yeah. And they were a common feature in a, in a lot of places like, uh, uh, you know, sin industries, like pubs and brothels and saloons, but also stores, banks. Um, there are still spittoons on the Senate floor. And next to each of the uh, Supreme Court justices, because it's simply tradition in the United States. And so everybody gets their own. So the the, uh, Supreme Court justices get their own spittoons. And then in the Senate, it's just spread around the chamber. Apparently, they're just used as trash cans now. And they were also specifically useful for people with tuberculosis. Because people were coughing and spitting. Ew. It was not uncommon. A spittoon, it it reminds me very much of what you were just describing with the copper cigar. Yeah, they're often brass or copper. Yeah, they they are either porcelain or metal most of the time. uh, And they include sort of a bowl at the top to catch the spit and a bowl at the bottom to hold the spit. And they're fairly large because people have to aim their spit into them. They, it was not uncommon, especially for public ones, to have... Uh, some sort of antiseptic, like a carbolic acid in them, to try to neutralize the spit itself. And it was not terribly uncommon for people to use pocket spittoons as well. 
Uh, so people would spit into a jar and screw it on. And screw the lid on. And I mean, frankly, that's what a lot of people do with dip at this point is they'll just get a, a 20 ounce soda or whatever and then just spit into it and screw the top back on. Yeah. Hopefully. If you've been at someone's house, estate sale house uh, and they, uh, yeah, you can find some, uh, it just depends how old they are. It seemed like it was a lot of old guys in this area. Like you'd find a... Uh, Two, not a two liter a bottle, but like a Pepsi bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Common. Yeah. And so uh, after the turn of the 20th century and people were trying to uh, stop spreading tuberculosis, like public spittoons became significantly less popular. Although they were used into the 70s in some places. And chewing gum actually replaced chewing tobacco for a lot of people. And so uh, that coupled chewing gum and cigarettes, because cigarettes were considered more hygienic, uh, meant that the spittoon became, frankly, less useful. And the ashtray became more useful. You could put your gum in it. You could put your gum wrappers. You could put your cigarette ash. And then also, uh, a lot of the old metal spittoons, particularly brass, met their ends in scrap drives in World War II. Yep. So just a lot of them just like got scrapped. And apparently, possibly the world's largest collection of spittoons is at the Duke Homestead Histo- State Historic Site in Durham, North Carolina. Really? Yeah. So that's another place. They have over 300, almost 400 spittoons. And uh, that's another place for us to uh, go on a little adventure. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm. We've been there pre-COVID days. And it was super interesting. There's like a tobacco leaf drying shack and everything. I totally suggest it if you're in this area or you're just visiting. It is a very interesting, fairly honest uh, historical site, which I appreciate. So I had talked earlier about being frustrated with the difficulty of finding the history of ashtrays in places other than like the United States and Europe. And spittoons, I was able to find some information about spittoons in particularly China. And apparently spitting is a not uncommon way to just clear out your mouth in China. And uh, the spittoon was a way to collect that spit uh, and to keep people from just spitting all over the ground. And has been pretty popular into the 2000s. And it was to try to keep... It was trying to, well, into like the, the 80s, 90s. And, you know, depends on where you are because China is an absolutely enormous country. So yes. it's saying, saying this happened all over China in this year is not sensible a statement to make. So uh, spittoons and particularly porcelain spittoons were not uncommon publicly and then also in homes and things like that to keep people from spitting on the floor. And then there's also been a push to keep people from spitting at all. Uh, There was a lot of uh, ridicule outside of China of people in China who would spit on the ground. I'm sure it was not a very racially appropriate ridicule, and I'm sorry. It is not a great idea to spit all over the place, but it's also not a great idea to be racist. Agreed. There are just fewer spittoons in public spaces in China. Uh, And then that's that. 
That is so fascinating. Like, I generally don't think about spittoons because <laughs> it grosses me out. But uh, legitimate, legitimately, we we used to find them at people's houses. It was more that people had collected them and they were by the front door and held, like, umbrellas or whatever. Yeah, because um, they're then, fairly large. Yeah. And then I would be like, oh, what is that? And uh, someone would be like, oh, that's a spittoon. I'd be like, oh, okay, gross. But also, and usually the ones that were brass or some other kind of metal were the ones that had that people had. Like, And they used it to decorate with. Like, they, It was legit, legitimately holding like something. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen them next to fireplaces to hold tinder or whatever. Because they are quite large. I mean, they can be quite large. It's not like they're tiny. Yeah. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense because you got to get the spit in there. (laughs) People don't have the greatest of aim, especially when um, glasses aren't necessarily as accessible. So if you're nearsighted and trying to spit into a spittoon, it better be large and the decoration probably helped. So I wonder, I wonder when, like, I know that spitting, like, when you were a kid, did you used to have spitting contests? Like... Not really, but I knew kids did. Yeah, okay. So it seems to be like a middle school thing. Mm-hmm. It's like around that age. Um, and I wonder if kids still do that. Like, uh, probably because everybody thinks it's gross. So, of course, you have to do it. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if the COVID times has changed that. Like, I, I think in history, we're going to be like pre-COVID, after COVID, like we are with uh bc (laughs) well and part of why spittoons became less popular was because of increased understanding of hygiene after the spanish flu absolutely yeah we'll probably see more people wearing masks in like doctor's offices and stuff potentially yeah i don't know we'll see what happens yeah i mean my family we all still wear masks when we go in public and yeah i mean that's what we do Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it, it seems to be more common and it, and in this area, it's more like a you do you kind of a thing. Like nobody says anything to anyone, but if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, it's your business. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how true that is anywhere else, but that's how it is here. And I, I'm guessing that it's very common other places as well to like wear a mask. And I think it's going to be more common in the coming days because it seems to have gone kind of the way of Japan where people just wear masks and it's not unusual for people to just wear masks so yeah i hope so yeah so yeah that's where ashtrays went people collect them still but a lot of them got trashed and nobody really wants them yeah totally so i think that if people find awesome ashtrays while they're out antiquing they should send them to us and Mm -hmm. how can they do that because we're changing the way our social media is going to run so uh i am going to say this now so that people know i am going to start a facebook page for where does it go because i have a sneaky suspicion that a lot of our listeners are also on facebook um and then Emily was talking about starting a TikTok, but we're not going to put any pressure on her because her life is cray cray right now. So um, <laughs> <laughs> eventually we'll be eventually we'll be on TikTok probably. But for now, uh, it sounds like you're going to 86 the Twitter account, right? Yeah. Uh, no more Twitter. The algorithm is not friendly. 
Yeah. So we will, and I'm probably going to 86 the Instagram because there's almost no engagement on it. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that the, those of you who want to connect with us can connect on Facebook. Um, and also we have email. Uh, where does it podcast at gmail.com? Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. And I think on our website, you can probably leave us a message as well. Yeah, because we have yeah, a contact. Got, we have a contact page. Where does it go? Yeah. Dot com. Yeah, yeah. Or, or is it where does it dot com? Let me check. Find it's us. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been a minute. I'm so glad to be back. Like, this is super fun and I've missed it. You know, I love to talk about drunk. So <laughs> where things go, um, it's awesome. And we have we have some people that have agreed to uh, interview with us, which is super fun. So that's going to be a good time in the coming episodes. Uh, a friend of ours who is a chemistry teacher, she's going to come talk and about chemistry education, etc. So that should be a good time because it's changed a lot. And then, um, yeah, we have a bunch of people that want to come and be guests for us. And that's always fun to listen to. And then we've got a bunch of ideas. Because we've been been on hiatus during the COVID times and the craziness that has come into our lives since then. Lots of fun to be had. Lots of research to do. Lots of people to talk with. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.